right, hello and welcome to Totem Talks, episode 25. It is the end of an era, and by an era, I mean the first season of Totem Talks. Yes, yes. For those of you who listened last week, this is our season one finale. Don't worry, yeah. there's not going to be a gap. We're still going to release yes. next week. And we're doing that so our special episodes, like our best of the best, worst of the worst, uh, best of the rest, all of the yes. things that we have ideas for of like compiling more information about these chunks of seasons, that's how we break them down. Right. You're, you're just going to get a recap of what's happened. You'll get a little uh, you know, insight into a bunch of the albums that we did not cover that you're right. definitely going to want to check out. And you'll hear what we thought were the absolute best and worst of the lessons so Exactly. Far. And they are pretty definitive to me. Yeah. No, so. I get that. But anyway, uh, we do have a full episode today. We're going over three artists as usual. But first, let's introduce ourselves. So we are Totem Talks. It's uh, based on Low Totem, a cover band. Well, no, a regular band. There you go. Who does mostly covers, but also original stuff. Correct. In uh, the prestigious Bucks County, Pennsylvania area. Extremely prestigious. Yes. Um, and I am Pat. I am the lead singer of Low Totem. And I am Nick, and I sing and play piano and guitar for Low Totem. Hello, uh, my name is Tyler, and I have a collection of fingernails and toenails. <laughs> All right. That's very good. And that is Tyler. So, um, on... Today's episode of Totem Talks, oh, man. we are going over three artists. Oh, I know which ones they are. Do you want to say I which do, ones they are? I do. Sure. We're starting out with Three Doors Down, uh, and then we are going on to The Drifters, and then we are wrapping all of season one up with Cream. So I'm very excited to talk about those artists with you yeah. guys today. Fascinating. So I guess without any further ado, let's get started with Three Doors yes, Down. Yes, let's. So Three Doors Down is an American rock band. From Escatawapa, so, Mississippi. Can I just say that for the last twenty-five weeks, every time you've introduced an American band, I am just dying to sing the song "We're an American Band" by Grand Funk Railroad. Like it just gets <laughs> stuck in my head immediately. Fair enough. I'm sorry. That's fine. When we do Grand Funk Railroad, yeah, I'll, I will sing, sing it that, that time. Song. Yes, we'll work on getting the rights. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they were active from 1996 to the present day. Um, they are a post-grunge band. Or something. The second okay. post-grunge band we've gone over. Recently. Recently. Uh, the first being Daughtry. Uh, and yeah, that's it. <laughs> we went over three <laughs> of their albums. We went over The Better Life, their first album, which was released in 2000. And also their best-selling. Yes. And right. then um, their second best-selling, Away From The Sun, which came out in 2002. Right. And then Us and the Night, which came out in 2016. Yeah, not uncommon to see a lot of these bands sell the highest with their first record, and then it's their second record that's a little bit weaker, but sort of behind it, and they drift over time. I've noticed drift, that with a lot I of... Yeah, well, pun, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, so uh, why don't we let Tyler open up by talking about The Better Life? I would love that. All right, well, track number one on this album, there's a bit of a backstory behind this one. I actually bothered to look it up. Wow. So um, we're going to set ourselves back to Action Comics number one. The, uh, oh, no. The first appearance of of what would later kind of define the American superhero, uh, Superman. And uh... Superman <clears throat> is completely invulnerable to to any and everything except except two things oh. kryptonite and love interesting not too many people talk about his vulnerability to love but right. I, I so think which one of those things was this song about this song was about love 
Oh, interesting. <laughs> so shocking. Um, called Kryptonite, um, it perfectly kind of defines uh, what it is to be Superman. Um, Does it? I, 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 I think it's written in a way that your average listener might not pick up on its connection to the Man of Steel, uh, a nickname used for Superman. Um, but this actually paints a perfect almost summary of uh, Superman 157. Um, oh my God, in... at some point we have to stop him, right? Uh, what? Do we give uh, the full background of Superman going into this, this song? Well, I've, I'm not giving the full background okay. of Superman. I mean, golly, we'd be here all day. Yeah, I know. But um, uh, I... Superman 157, as I said, um, is yeah. has the same uh, narrative structure as this song, uh, but they both tell completely different stories. Um, everything else on the album... You know, is I take surprisingly responsibility for this unrelated shit. to Superman, uh-huh. but the album itself keeps up its theme of DC comic characters with its next track, "Loser." So, so the entire DCEU. Oh my goodness! So Does, we've are all. Are we gonna do this? <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm just gonna put it out there, hot take right now. Superman is the worst superhero that there ever was. Okay. Superman is the worst superhero. Not that there ever was. Hold on. Uh, of all the popular superheroes, Superman is the worst. All right. Oh, DC or, or Marvel. You, oh, my. I'm, I'm a hot take. I said it was a hot take. That's a scalding take. Yeah, I dislike Superman. I Clearly, I can tell. That's yeah. I. Wow. I okay. disagree. That's fine. I would say more, but we have to talk about Can we music. talk about the music? Yes. Uh, hi, to all our listeners at home, uh, this is Hank. I'm the guy who does the audio editing. You're not going to hear Tyler for the rest of this segment because he was insulted so much by Nick. He, uh, <laughs> he, he, he refused to comment any further until getting okay. an apology. Right. Our, our devoted listeners are well aware that I'm the one who does all the audio they editing because I've complained about it multiple times. I know. We're, we're tired of hearing about that, Our devoted listeners do not exist. Would you like to take over the audio editing, Nick? I don't know how to. Um, well, but I will take easy, over talking about this record. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, this record was um, too soon after doing Daughtry on the podcast uh, to listen to uh, another album where every single song sounded pretty much exactly the same where they were all that 2000s heavy rock that, you know, every single Nickelback, Daughtry, Three Doors Down album, they all run completely together for me. I wouldn't even say um, that this is heavy rock. Like, it, it, it falls short of going heavy. It depends. I mean, uh, there are definitely some songs like Be Like That, which was a pretty big hit from this record that's softer, and I think it benefits as being one of the better tracks from the record. Um, it did have hits. It did commercially really well. I get it. It's not unpleasant to listen to at all. Uh, I think I just this is colored a little bit more negatively for me because we did Daughtry so recently and I had to listen to three of these records in a row and it it got monotonous and it hard to focus because the music just felt like I was getting the same thing at me over and over and over again. But, you know, all in all, solid. I understand why it sold well. I understand why the hits are hits. It's not bad music. It's just generic. All right. Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely is. I mean, all kidding aside, it, it is a very generic album, like what Nick was saying. I, I was disappointed that it never really did anything more than just being as kind of 
cookie cutter as a rock album could get. Most of the songs kind of just have that like slow acoustic guitar in there. When they do kind of amp it up and you get high energy, it falls short of being like full hard rock or metal, whatever yeah. one you want to call it. I mean, it, it very much feels like an album that's playing it safe as far as what it's singing about and how the instruments are being played and the melodies are all being written, but it isn't unpleasant. I mean, like Nick said, yeah. it's not a bad album to listen to by any means, but then again, I feel like Kryptonite is the only one on this album that I walked away with being stuck in my head and I think that's okay. more just because that's the only real song from this album that a you lot knew. of people will, will yeah, know two uh, I mean hits. Be Like That was a hit I would say Loser was a hit I would oh, you, I, know. I, you lost me into that. I mean I certainly knew that song Be Like That was the other big one though I mean this this sold 7 million copies so clearly there were some hits on it <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sold seven million copies back in two thousand when you couldn't um, just buy the true. one song you wanted. Okay. So I'm going <laughs> to talk about it real quick and then go on to the second yeah, album. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I think the word that I had, which you guys kind of danced around, you guys were pretty much there yeah. with me, is lackluster. Mm -hmm. The whole album is very lackluster. I mean, I would argue I I get the comparison to Daughtry. However, Daughtry can sing. Oh, I think this guy can sing. He can sing, but Daughtry can sing sing like he's a good singer and he fits this band well mm -hmm. but i mean that's the only difference to me is like daughtry is like a yeah, he's really excellent. really good vocalist brad arnold is definitely good he's, he's a good talented, vocalist yeah. but it's the difference between good and great in okay. terms of vocals because i think every other part is comparable sure and i think that's what would put daughtry above them in my book i wouldn't go that far his vocals but fair enough i totally understand where you're coming from yeah, I mean, I I just think this just isn't a style of music you like. Yeah, and I don't dislike it either. It's just I'm very right. neutral about. Um, it. I just I I think it was it was okay. It was not good. Um, I didn't enjoy the entire songs or the entire album. Yeah, I enjoyed Kryptonite and I enjoyed Be Like That because I've heard them before. I was kind of like looking forward to hearing other songs because I've liked their hits, mm -hmm. and it's just a case of like. It's just not great. The song Loser, it does what I call uh, it Mr. Brightsides, where it just repeats mm -hmm. itself and halfway through. Yeah. Like, Mr. Brightside's just the same song twice. It's a, it's a minute and a half yeah, song two right. times. I mean, that was one I knew, too. And yeah, Loser is the same thing. Um, and then the song Smack, I was listening to it, and I'm like, oh, this sounds like something. Like, what song does it sound like? Sounds like Kryptonite. Yeah, well. Um, it's the same chord progression in the same key as Kryptonite. You li it yeah. literally, you could play those songs back to back, or you could change the lyrics and the tempo on either one of them and yeah. play them at the same time. I mean, here's the thing about all these records. It's like, if you know four chords and have a distortion pedal, you could replicate it. Like, that's pretty right. much it. Well, do you remember the time when we were messing around in practice and played Kryptonite all the way through? Yeah, by accident. I think we did it live once. Someone like yelled <laughs> for us to do it, and we're like, I don't know, B minor maybe, and then we figured, and we just yeah, guessed our was, way through so, it. So, uh, regardless, going into Away from the Sun, uh, my note for this one is there's slightly less grunge because in the first album, I definitely got the post grunge feel. It definitely felt like somebody took grunge with all those like. When you think of grunge, you think of very specific like sounds, like progressions, where mm -hmm. it kind of like subverts your expectation yeah, and progression. Yeah, but it doesn't. Um, even, but but you know, it again feels like it's it's playing it safe grunge. Well, that and that's what I mean when I say post grunge. It's like they yeah. took grunge and watered it down with like some pop. Mm. 
Yeah, remember how I said that Daughtry was sort of like music for soccer moms to listen to so that their kids think they're cool? Yeah. It's like they take grunge and, and popify it to the point where. Right, but the difference like between this and Daughtry and is Daughtry was calling it. Like, Daughtry was co- like called post grunge, and I was like, no. Yeah. Absolutely not. This is pop rock. This is not post grunge. As, as is Three Doors. But this is post grunge pop rock. I mean, it's. The progressions. They run together so much for me. See, I <laughs> feel like you just didn't do a deep enough dive into the progressions. Maybe. The chord progressions used in the songs are very grunge. It's I know, just I know all I'm super not, watered yeah. down. I know I'm not really in the know on uh, music terms and whatnot, but I don't know. I'm kind of taking Nick's side on there. They both. I'm telling you, kind go, of, kind of just become the same sound for I'm me. I'm telling yeah. you to go back and listen to some of the chord progressions. You'll hear grunge in there. Sure, no, no, I'm I not understand saying what it's you're good saying about and it's super poppy. Right. I think we're talking more about the uh the melodies and the the sounds that you're getting the way that the oh, guitars but all that stuff are, are I agree set with the way you that the, I'm just it's saying, recorded like, i'm totally yeah. agreeing with you on all that stuff i'm just saying like when they say mm. post grunge it's because they use the grunge chord progressions those famous progressions that like nirvana yeah, no, used. i get like, you i hear you they're using the same progressions they're just watering them down and popifying mm-hmm. them but they don't do that nearly as much in Away From The Sun, which was the point. Uh, they move away from the grunge in, flav- in favor of, like, a much cleaner guitar. Oftentimes, um, yeah. A much cleaner guitar that's really just pop. Like, yeah, there's some rock, but, like, this is the album where I'm like, oh, it's Nickelback. Yeah, and this-, I, uh, this is this is the most generic that we've talked about yet, because uh, we're going to have to talk about Us in the Night. But, um, yeah. It's just super generic again. When I'm gone is a big single for them. It was um, so was here without you, and here without you was the other one. And the title track was a was a hit too, but yeah. Um. So, but not as big as the other. Not two. as big as this. Two, this album had such a weird effect on me. It was. It's like I I can't recall too many times when like you're listening to to this genre of music. Like when you think of like guitars and drums and whatnot, like. That's supposed to be like a big high energy experience. Right. Listening to this album, I just felt bored. Like I'm listening to like, you know, these guitars and drums and and bass kind of like going nuts. And like you could see like their music videos and it's all like high energy. Even some of like their slower songs, they still kind of like have this visual allusion to it. Like it's supposed to be a big deal. And I and I guess if I was seeing them perform live and I had the energy and benefit of an audience there, it probably wouldn't have bored me nearly as much as just listening mm-hmm. to it did. But n- listening to it, while I never wanted to necessarily turn it off, I never wanted to... 100% commit to listening to it either. I was always just kind of like distracted by what else was going sure, on. It 100%. works really well as like an atmosphere setter and kind of just like a generic like here we are, we're hanging out, we're having a party, we want some music in the background but we don't want to be distracted by the music that's playing. Right. Yeah. I mean I get that like I was saying, I mean it's just a lot cleaner, a lot more pop and I think besides the two singles, When I'm Gone and Here Without You Again, nothing. It felt almost formulaic, um, which is is probably one of the bigger insults that I give on this podcast. It just feels like, well, we know what gets people to buy stuff. We're going to create an album based on that. And that's what it felt like to me. And I didn't enjoy yeah. other than the two <clears throat> singles. I didn't enjoy it. Sure. Yeah. Um. Again, this was just another one where my notes say literally, even though I don't dislike this, I'm so sick and tired of it. Uh, I am struggling to focus. Things right. like that are all I have written down. So, again... 
I don't really have anything new to add to that in terms of the music. However, I will say that the guy who produced this album, Rick Parisher, also produced the album Temple of the Dog, which we discussed earlier on the podcast. And I have a question for you, and we'll see if you can get it. Uh, There was a famous musician, a famous guitarist, who actually joined with Three Doors Down for their premiere uh, concert with this record. They had, like, you know, their big premiere party. Okay. And I know someone, we know someone whose head is going to explode when he hears that this person played with this band. Really? Yeah. yeah. Any guesses at all who that could be? Uh... Phyllis Diller? You're so close. He's close with Phyllis Diller? He's not. He's not close. I love that. Uh, Alex Lifeson of Rush. Wow. Alex Lifeson from Rush went and joined this band and played with them for like when they did their uh, record release party concert. So I really? was not the, the one not whose Canadian. head was going to explode. You're right. They're not. They're super not Canadian. They're from yeah. like, Mississippi, right? So They are. That's like no, anti-Canada. No, you were not the one. That was, that was Alex, our bassist, who yeah. loves Rush. Exactly. Exactly. Also, between the first two records, they released a live EP that included a cover of That Smell by Leonard Skinner. Interesting. Have I, have I made enough connections for Three Doors Down yet? Probably. <laughs> um, but you know what you can do is talk about Please. Us in the Night. Uh, okay. Um, I have all of the same comments, except for this is even less enjoyable than the first two records. Yeah. Uh, I, I was so done with this band by the time I got to the third record that I, I could barely even focus my way through a song. Um Again, again, especially after Daughtry, I know you're you're a lot kinder on Daughtry than I am, but it just felt like six records in the last three or four weeks or whatever it's been since we've done Daughtry that were all exactly the same, and and I wanted to bash my head against the wall, even though I didn't think they were you know offensive with the way they played. It wasn't like you know having nails on a chalkboard or anything like that, but just uh, I'm I'm so done with this band. I don't need to listen to them ever again. <laughs> that's that's all I feel. Fair enough. Okay, Tyler, what did you think? Uh, I got the impression from this album, it just kind of felt like trying too hard. You know, again, mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's nothing necessarily wrong with playing it safe and kind of being a formulaic poppy band. But like where I can almost respect Nickelback because it seems like Nickelback kind of accepted what they were and just kind of steered towards it. You know, they were making money, they were making music and somehow people kept showing up for the shows. (laughs) This just kind of feels like they're not accepting that they're kind of just like this generic background filler rock and they're still trying to like wow you and impress you and it's just like completely falling off that mark for me. All right. Well, I I mean, I agree, obviously. Um, The literally what I wrote here was just that it feels like this just big cesspool of bland mediocrity on this last album. Um, This one didn't even have the redemption of having a couple big hits that, like, kind of yeah, hit the right. zeitgeist of the world. I, I, they just didn't. Um, The best song on the album was just okay. It's called I Don't Want to Know, and it was, like, kind of country. And it was just like, wait, this is a little bit different than everything else, so I like it. You know, but, sure. but kind of... In, in the same style of Three Doors Down. Oh, yeah. It was, it was just, kind, it was it was just style, a but... little bit different. It yeah, fell you know short what? of being I'm new. Sorry. Yeah. You know? It, it could be enough. because the, the band had changed over at this point. So the original guitarist had uh, unfortunately has passed away. Right. He had left the band for health issues and then died of uh, a prescription drug overdose, very unfortunately. And the original bassist uh, was convicted of vehicular manslaughter, I believe. Yeah. 
And so he was fired from the band, obviously, because he killed someone. Makes sense. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, yeah. The be- like, it just felt super lazy. Yeah. That was the vibe that I got. It just felt super lazy. A lot of the songs uh, just sounded like previous songs. Um, most noticeably, the song "Believe It" just really sounded like the song "Running Out of Days" from "Away from the Sun." Right. Like that. Like you could just plug the lyrics in. Almost is what it mm-hmm. felt like to me. Uh, it all just felt typical. Like that. It just felt like the typical Three Doors Down sound. Right. Like if and you put every Three Doors Down album in a computer program. Yeah, it would, it would spit just, out this album. Right. And the weird thing about it, too, is like when they were on top of the world in 2000, 2002, like when you're putting out an album every two to three years, I kind of get it a little bit more. Right. Whereas this one, they're out of the spotlight at this point. They have five, five years between years, albums. And, then and think about what, like, not too long ago, what Hosier did with the five years yeah. between his albums, you know? Or, Whereas I mean, here, we, here you, you something... just come back with exactly the same thing. I'll give you something even more different. Think about Sugar Ray. Oh yeah, right. The sure, break that absolutely. they had—they came out with something completely different. It wasn't good, right? But it but, was completely different. Yeah, yeah. You definitely don't get the vibe from Three Doors Down. Like they're they're really devoted to music. Yeah, y- you get the idea. Like they just kind of fell into this, and this is their job, and mm-hmm. they're going through the motions. It just—it never feels like any single one of these songs is really telling an emotional story that they wanted to tell it just seemed like okay we need to throw 12 albums together onto a song and it needs mm-hmm. to at least sound like a pop rock album yeah all right, all right. well let's let's get let's to the great them then. so i, I mean, will say their first two categories are going to be the best two categories uh, I, they have to be they have to be because they were they were definitely pretty pervasive in the culture in the early 2000s. Yeah. I mean, I remember them. I knew a bunch of these songs from when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old, listening to all these records come out uh, and hearing the songs on the radio and stuff. And right. they did, at least their first several albums, sold really well. Multi-platinum records yeah. we were talking about here. So uh, their cultural impact, I'm going to say it's got to be above a five, probably not by too much. Uh, I mean, I would actually disagree with you on that. Uh, I would say it needs to be above a five, but probably in the sixes. Really? Okay. I mean, Three Doors Down is is well known. I I mean, they have, like I said, they have at least four songs that are still regularly played. At least. I mean, I actually knew a lot more of the songs than you did right. coming in. Right, so, so and seems... I mean, you're talking the first album went seven platinum, the second album went four platinum. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I, something. It's definitely above... I mean, I would put that at least in the sixes. Yeah, and ironically, well known. and okay. ironically, ironically enough, um, literally three doors down from me, where I live, is oh, a God. band. Oh God! Um, that is well known. They're called Loose Change. They're pretty popular around Bucks County. Okay. Um, um, I would encourage okay. you to check out. So their I'll, give you, I'll, I'll give you. Yeah, right. I'll give you your six. <laughs> um, and the other thing, want. and the other thing, like regardless of what you feel, I mean, they have garnered the spotlight a few different times by playing presidential inaugurations. Oh yeah, uh, not usually to positive very reception. controversially they yeah. did play the Trump inauguration, which right. Their fans were not super no, pleased with that, right? From but what no, I understand. The, every, what what is it? Uh, no publicity is bad publicity. It puts That's them true. back in the culture again, all the way up I, in twenty sixteen. Yeah. yeah, but I so. feel like anyone who plays a presidential inaugural election is is just a band that was popular but could not get Beyonce hired to do Obama's. anything else. She does seem like she's still popular. <laughs> Beyonce um, played Obama's, who is still very popular. I d- would agree that she is still popular. All right, 
Uh, again, uh, I'll give you your six. I'm thinking like a six two, honestly. I know you don't have to like it, but I mean, you, you got to be a six in one. the culture. I mean, listen, if that's what's going to make you feel better, with it'll your make me feel better. But I think definitely are in. The I was culture. at like a five three, and I'm giving you a six one. So take that. Uh, breadth of work. So I'm just going to land similarly to where we were with Daughtry. Um, but not quite at the same number. And the re- so they s- have one more album than Daughtry did. So which puts them at the average because right. Daughtry was right under. They sold super well. They sold, you know, like several million more copies right. than Daughtry did. So that would put them above them. Right. But the quality might have been just a hair spread lower. I would agree with that. Um, maybe if Daughtry got a 5.3, then I'm giving it like a 5.4. It's as high as I can go because of all those extra record sales. But the quality is... Oh, it really hit. Really yeah, hits. I mean, I think we should. I really do think we should go to the five five because of how well the first, basically the first three sold. Done. Yeah. Done. Instrumental talent. This is where they go down. I mean, it's bad. It's it's very generic. It's going to be another There's case no... of the vocalist who is definitely above average, not as yeah. talented as Daughtry, but above average, who's going to bring a band that's below average. Up. Yeah. I mean, what did we give Daughtry? A five and a half. So these they they should have switched then. They should get a five two or a five three. Yeah. Because, like I said, Brad Arnold is not as good as Chris Daughtry. No. 5-2 uh, is fine by me. Songwriting talent, the, I mean, we've <sighs> discussed at length how you could, I could make you a five-song EP of Three Doors Down, and it's as good as listening to their whole discography. Yeah. I mean, everything is the same. This has got to um, be the Yeah. I I'm mean, thinking, like, in the threes. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm thinking, like, probably, like, a 3-4. Beautiful. 3-4 it That's is. That's kind of where I was with that. What about poetic talent? I mean, it's just nothing about their, their poetry and their lyrics sounded like anything i think it meant something to brad i will i'll be honest i'll say it. i think it meant something to brad arnold okay i don't know if it was just that it was so poorly matched with music that it was very difficult for it to land so here's the problem that i have i get where you're coming you know what from. i'm saying like it's just not i felt i a felt complete piece. a little bit thinking back on it maybe that was a little harsh i, I thinking i the solo work, or the single work, I mean, the singles, Sure, I felt emotion in them. Okay. Here Without You, I felt yeah. something in. Uh, I actually Be felt like something that. in the song Running Out of Days. I felt okay. a lot in Be Like That. Yeah. But it's right, just I don't think it's all bad. a lot of stuff that's just not good. Yeah, definitely. Um, Maybe maybe we say that's like a four. I'm cool with it. Because like obviously people do like the music. It's so well. Yep. Yep, I'm fine with it. I'm leaving that. Uh, and I don't give them an X factor. Absolutely not. No. Uh, which, w- that's going to wrap us up. That wraps us up. Three, three Doors Down. down. So right. uh, we're going to come back with The Drifters. Woo. All right. So The Drifters. Here we go. Uh, the Drifters were an uh, doo-wop R&B soul vocal group. Yeah. I say were, but I mean are. Yeah, Surprisingly, right. Surprisingly, they are still active today. They are still active uh, from today. From 1953 to the present. Uh, A very before, long, complex yeah. history. Before we get too far into them, uh, these these guys are widely regarded as the most volatile like doo-wop group. Volatile yeah. in terms of multiple lineups. So, like, right. It's just su- there's there was not a set group of musicians exactly. who were the Drifters. It's I mean the almost name and then just like a revolving door. Right. Of almost everyone talent. has been in the Drifters, including us at one point in well, the. 80s. We could have been yeah. without knowing it. Yeah. Right. Uh. So that's it. Um. I will say for the Drifters, we actually pretty much had to break our formula. 
yeah there's not really a way to access albums so much of their stuff is singles related uh or their albums are mostly like compilations of sing- different singles and yeah. stuff that came out before it was really difficult to get our hands on anything that we could consider a studio album so we went for the basically the biggest compilation that we could come up with that spanned several years of their career and covered multiple singers so if you're listening along at home the compilation all-time greatest hits and more which has about 40 songs which is about three albums worth of all-time greatest hits and more 1959 to 1965 yeah thank you for thank you for we need to they need to know but that gives you a good idea of who the drifters are definitely especially their most famous period yeah and their most famous songs yeah exactly for sure uh so Honestly, let's talk about it. Do uh, you want to go first, Nick? You want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Sure. Uh, so wait, no. I'm just <laughs> I really enjoy the Drifters. Uh, I really enjoyed this listening. Uh, Duop is a ton of fun to listen to and really enjoyable. I like. I don't know who wouldn't like it because it's just so like upbeat. Yeah, and even when they're talking like emotional stuff, it's just so like pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Obviously, they have some really good hits. Um, they have Save the Last Dance for Me, This Magic Moment, Under the Boardwalk. Yeah, some all, real classics. Some real, like, you're going to know these songs. Absolutely. Uh, and pretty much every song has that same, you know, talent around it. Mm-hmm. So this is just a pretty much a knockout for me. I really enjoyed listening to it. Um, it's a long compilation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, was it like 40 songs? Yeah, it's 40 songs. It was yeah. like two hours. So, but it was worth it. Uh, and my highlights are honestly probably the ones I mentioned, the big, the famous songs. But that could just be because I know them so well. Right, yeah, like, that's they stuck fun. out to me so much more than the other ones just because I've heard them a million times. And even on the million and first listen, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So that I, that's all I really have to say. Uh, the varying lineups of the Drifters they put together kind of a strong group uh they were originally formed by a guy named uh, clyde, clyde mcfatter yeah. and after that um the the rights to the name was uh george treadwell took over the, the name. treadwell family then were like yeah. the drifters i guess manager yeah they, basically like, they owned the name the yeah drifters, they had the rights to and the just group. kept funneling in yeah artists and musicians and they pretty much were the least stable group because they were just like low paid musicians and the name was making a ton of money for the Treadwells, mm-hmm. but the musicians weren't. So they kept getting like pulled to bigger yeah. things and they just replaced them. Most notably like a most guy like notably, Benny King. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say most notably Benny King who went on to do Stand By Me. Right. Um, so I have all similar feelings yeah. to you. I'm sure you're not surprised. I mean, really cool to listen to. Uh, one thing that was just interesting because of the way that the compilation was done uh, right. You can definitely hear the difference between like late fifties and mid sixties, just in the oh, style yeah. of recording mm-hmm. and the the quality of the sound, and whether it sounds like there are a bunch of guys standing in the studio room around a microphone, or if they're yeah, individually you recording heard tracks. That echo. Yeah. So I mean, it was cool. It wasn't. It didn't take it away from the songs for me, really. No. Um, it was just interesting to hear how they developed as a group over time at a time when music was really changing and perfecting the sounds on these records was becoming a bigger and bigger deal and trying to like, you know, get the best sounds coming out of your studio. Uh, all the guys that they had singing, whether it was McFadder or Benny King or like Johnny Moore, uh, Bill Pinckney, all great. All, all awesome vocalists to listen to. 
Um, just trying to think of tracks that were really cool that you might be interested in that weren't big hits. Something like uh, Baltimore was really great. I've always loved the song Lonely Winds. Uh, I Count the Tears I thought was another really good one. But you just can't go wrong, even though this was the same style over and over again. There was a lot of variation within the style, so, you know. And I think that's a, a really good comparison to somebody like Three Doors Down. Exactly, because, because I could listen this to this for same, two hours and love it. Yeah, it's the same style over and over again, but you're not doing it in a generic way. I felt like there was more and variation have, yeah. within the genre for the... variation. Right, than there was well, with you Three can Doors make Down. something sound the same but be interesting over and over again because you're changing subtle exactly. things. Exactly, Like the harmonies, like the rhythms... That is talent. Oh, 100%. And, and, and undoubtedly. And that's why the Drifters are, you know, one of the biggest doo-wop groups of all time. For sure. That's also why they're... literally one of the biggest because they have like yeah, 90 Yeah, all the people in them. Yeah, that's why they're in the Vocal Group Hall of Fame. That's why they got inducted Three into times. the roll and roll, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they were actually inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Three the times. same year as the Beatles in 1988. Interesting. Yes. That is super interesting. And to get in as early as the Beatles, like you yeah. know you were super influential and important. So I'll I also that and I'll enjoyed Tyler. them. Is that I all would you like to us? point out. <laughs> no, so I, I, I was really trying to find a, a spot for me to get in here because I don't know any of the history or anything about them. And Pat pretty much covered, you know, their genre and whatnot. I love doo-wop. I love this style of music, uh, 50s into 60s. Um, totally agree. This is an album you could put on and listen. It's all in the same style, but it's all unique and different. I, I don't really think that there were too many songs that I listened to that just felt like they were lyric changes to another song. There's constantly different types of harmonies and melodies that are happening within the same basic song structure. The The only thing that I would say that I don't like about the Drifters, but it's like a, it, there, it, it's kind of just like an issue that I have with all songs from doo-wop and the 50s and the 60s, and it's because I was raised um, in the 90s into the 2000s. The songs are just short. Yeah, they are I'm very I'm so short, used to songs that go right. on for at least three or four minutes, and even some, like, 80s rock ballads and stuff that go on for, like, seven, eight minutes. Yeah, it's These rare. songs, like, you get into them, and it's great, and you're loving the melody, you're loving the chorus, and then and then party's over. Yeah. But fortunately, listening to them on, like, this beautiful compilation, it's, you get to just do it. I actually, mm -hmm. um, Not when we were- Right. When we were listening to them, when um when it was time to listen to them, I didn't realize that Apple Music had a compilation section, so I just couldn't find this album. <laughs> so I just I just hit play all for all their songs because I recognized I I didn't know the Drifters, but as soon as I like typed in and searched it, I recognized these songs, and I was like, oh well, let's just play all. Yeah, and that's what I did. I mean, so right. I got to hit all the ones that were on here and all the ones that weren't on here. This is just a, a great time. This was like a day that I set aside for myself, you know, woke up in the morning, started my commute with this. Um, the job that I have kind of allows you to like listen to music while you're working. Uh, and I work with kids. So I knew that I wasn't going to be playing anything that was going to be explicit or yeah, anything. Right. There was nothing to worry about. So just like the Bluetooth speaker came out and the day just went and it was like the mm -hmm. drifters from, from start to night. And it was a, a fantastic day, time yeah. music. I mean, the day had its ups and downs. Yeah, Musically, right. <laughs> the day was fantastic. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's just get yeah, to grade them. Let's just, them. Let's just them, knock yeah. them out. So, uh, 
I'm going to be honest here. I think this is a band that's going to do really well in the first half and then fall off. Mostly because uh, this is a band that does not write their own music. Probably. Um, but Cultural Impact, they've got to be super high up there. They're they've one of the biggest, be. most influential doo-wop groups of the 50s and 60s ever. I mean, yeah. they were one of the, you know, in the first few classes of inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Like I said, the same year as the Beatles. These guys were really important. Yeah. In all of their different lineups, they were making hits. They were recording great songs. And they were influencing other artists. So... I mean, my floor for the Drifters is somewhere in the eights, definitely. I I can't disagree with you. Uh, I definitely agree that they're huge. I mean, yeah. Even if, I feel like people would know the name the Drifters mm-hmm. just for the song "Under the Boardwalk," if nothing sure, else, or this magic moment because you right. know everyone's seen the Sandlot. That's true. I, yeah. I would probably the say <laughs> Tyler just pretended he didn't know what Sandlot was. Uh, I would probably agree with you. I'm, I was thinking Nick, like probably I don't watch 8. sports 3. films. Eight point three, I think, sounds good to me. So, uh, yeah. I, again, with Breath of Work, it's so here's the tough, tough yeah. to figure out exactly what it is. So I'm currently looking at their discography, and my lord, if yeah, it's so just, many singles. If you're looking at their singles and how they're all like top ten charting on the U.S. R&B charts, yeah. like they're doing really well. And then if you go down to their albums, there is a there is a significant mix of compilations, right. hits and stuff, but it's still like. 20 yeah, and then albums. the interesting thing too is that we didn't mention is that in the seventies the group reforms in the UK and becomes really big right. over there because American R and B music was always huge in the UK and yeah. super influential, especially like we're gonna talk about Cream soon and like those yeah. kinds of musicians that we think of for the British invasion and the beginning of the classic rock era, super inspired by by American R and B music. Oh, like that was what they were listening to. Um so they do chart well over in the UK with their later singles in the se- throughout the 70s, too. Yeah, I mean, I think they're honestly, their breath of work probably, it has to suffer a bit just for the complexity of it. Yeah, it's uh, hard but to figure out, but it should be much. above average, I think. It's definitely above, I mean, it's at least in the sixes. I, I agree. It's at I least agree. in the sixes. And like we mentioned, it's, number of songs. and it's all quality. It's all yeah. quality. Uh, I honestly would probably be good with like a six seven or a six eight. Uh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, I'm gonna because go six, eight. it's just it's all strong music. Very strong, very strong. And my when argument you, would be that I'd put it at a seven if there was a yeah, little bit more cohesiveness right. if you to it. Parse apart and figure out every track they've ever recorded. I'm sure it would be above, you know, well above our six 100%. record threshold and all that stuff. Just, I mean, look at just the compilation we listen to, yeah. 40 songs. Exactly. We usually listen to three that albums, could be about four, 10 songs. Yeah, right, you that know, could like, be about four records in and of itself. Easy. So, good. Uh, instrumental talent. These guys are pretty talented singers. Uh, a lot yeah. of talented singers. A in, lot of really talented singers came through this group. Yeah, a lot of the background instrument music is very simple. Yeah, uh, it's never bad, but it's very simple. Yeah, I mean, I. But do the Drifters think are a vocal group. They are a vocal group. Um, I do think that it's tough to nail down a number on this just mm-hmm. for the sheer number of people. Yes, I, um, I agree. They're above average. They had some 100%. truly great singers in there. Mm-hmm. Some probably less great that the group yeah. kind of covered for. But right. I would probably average it out in the like top five, low six range. Okay. For me. I'm low six then. You okay. know, I think just just the fact that once they established a name for themselves early on with some of right. the really talented guys like Clyde McFadder, you had to be somebody to get in. Like they weren't just going to hire anyone. Sure. If you couldn't sing, you weren't getting in. You know, there, would, there was would, an established okay. name there, you know. So you want to go like a 6-1 or 6-2? I would like that. 
Sure, I'm okay with that. I'll give him a six two. I'm feeling generous because I know songwriting Poak talent are going to just tank. They're going to be real bad because these guys just didn't write songs. Yeah, and here's the difference. So we've had this happen before, where an artist didn't write their own music. However, um, I believe it happened. It definitely happened with uh, the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, mm-hmm. and they suffered a lot for it. Yeah. And then it happened again with Elton John, and he didn't because. Bernie Taupin and him are like a cohesive right. unit, and, and it right. was it was brought slightly down. It was brought slightly down. Um, slightly. And these guys, unfortunately, and the only comparison I'll make to the Backstreet Boys, they suffer. Or did we do in sync? We didn't. Yeah, we did in sync. <laughs> I said the Backstreet Boys like twice. Whatever. We did it's NSYNC. all the same. It's not all the same. The Backstreet Boys <laughs> are talented. Yeah, I agree that they're so better. is in sync. Let's regroup. Okay. Let's rescore them. They deserve but, much okay. higher than they got. So. Look, I've clicked through all of the big singles that charted anywhere. I checked into it. None of the guys in the group were credited for writing any of them. Right. So I mean, I mean, I don't know if the actual singers in the band wrote a single song. Like, I'm almost in the zero okay, territory because I don't on. know what they did. <laughs> Here's what I'm gonna say. You can think that. I can. I know for a fact that Benny King is a songwriter, so I'm sure. gonna give them a but, point too. Okay, cause I was gonna say. He didn't write under the boardwalk. I will give though, him a you know? point two. Okay. For they had a songwriter in the band once. Okay, that's fine. Because there's that's all. What I about? Do. Are you thinking the same thing for poetic talent then? Like a sympathy point two? Um. Because again, do people are just zero, writings. Though? I don't know if we ha- we've never set the precedent of giving a zero for anything other than X Factor, which is either you yeah, have it I or don't you think, don't. I think you have to go. We bottom out at a point one. Point one. Well, but our yeah, floor is a point one. I you agree. also have, you also have to remember that at this point in time it wasn't very customary for singers to write their own songs. Oh, you're 100% right. right. So right. And it's just unfortunate because of our criteria, a band like the Drifters is going to really suffer for that. They're going to do well because they sing really well, their music's fantastic, and they were really important for the culture. But if you don't write any of your own songs, like even Elvis is going to struggle to some extent when we get there, you know what I mean? Because he wasn't recording music that he wrote. He was recording music that other people wrote. Obviously, he's one of the most influential musicians of all time. So true. But you got to write your songs if you want to get a super high score. And you um, mean Elvis Costello? <laughs> yes. Yes, Elvis um, Costello. Sure. So X Factor, I, I'll, I'll leave the question out there. Is like the revolving door of drifters? Is it the not literal drifters who walked into the <laughs> band? And maybe that's why they were Do called we the drifters. Give them anything for being like one of the foundational doo-wop groups even maybe um uh, yes, yes yes i mean i would probably combine those into like maybe a point five. okay i'm okay with it it's i mean i do full point but i do right think, like, i want to give them the credit story yeah yeah for something. And, the, and the beginning of doo-wop right because they're gonna be severely hurt by the fact that they didn't write their songs unfortunately we need to look out for them because they're they're awesome they're love very the talented yeah. listen we may not be scoring them high but, but we love listen them. to them yeah uh, but that's going to bring us to Cream. Yes, to close out season one. <laughs> Cream was a British rock band formed in London in 1966, and yes, they were indeed. active until 1968. That short they were. run, very short, short run. run, but very big run in those two years. Yes, uh, that's true. Um, as is typical, we went over three albums from them. Uh, so we went over Fresh Cream. Mm-hmm. which came out in 1966. Then we went over Disraeli Gears, which came out in 1967. Yeah, which we couldn't skip. Right. Theoretically, according to the formula, um, 
we could have gone with Wheels of Fire instead, but Disraeli Gears is just so widely considered one of the greatest yeah. classic albums in the history of classic rock. To do Cream without it wouldn't have made any sense. Right. That's not even real Cream, then. Yeah. Yeah, and then we went over Goodbye, which came out in 1969. Right, after they were already Correct. done. So, uh, let's talk about Fresh Cream. Uh, I will let you go first, Nick, because right. I know you enjoy Cream. Uh, I do, I do. Um, definitely one of these bands that I've just known forever, that I've been listening to these songs my whole life, that I've always loved them. Uh, and a couple from this first record that really stand out to me are some of my favorite tunes of all time, like I Feel Free. Right. It's just an amazing track. Uh, really fantastic uh, I'm So Glad is one of their better blues covers, I think, on all their records. And they do a lot of blues covers, um, including uh, Cat Squirrel, which is a really cool instrumental on this record as well. Yes. Um, I do like that I see more than one person doing things on Cream Records, too. Like, Jack Bruce is the primary vocalist and songwriter, but Clapton does get involved with lead vocals from time to time, and we'll see that a little bit more on the later records, too. Uh, right. Ginger Baker gets involved in writing the music uh, oftentimes. And then particularly this record ends with the song Toad, which is another one that I you know, was already pretty familiar with coming in. But it's just like, wow, he's Baker's just so out of this world talented oh, yeah. on the drums. He's so good. It's so cool to listen to. There are only a handful of songs in rock history with extended drum solos that like go on for a couple of minutes. Uh-huh. And this, I mean, he kills it. He really kills it. And that's all I wanted to say about this first record. Sure. Uh, Tyler, do you want to go next? Yes. So this was a a great album for me. Um, I loved the... It was slightly psychedelic without being totally psychedelic. So if you're not totally into psychedelic rock, this is still something you can enjoy. Um, It really... I was actually surprised to find out that they were were British because they had a sound to me that sounded more more Canadian, actually. Canadian? Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar I... with uh, Canadian bands from the 60s, but um, they no? really favored... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I've completely... Yeah, you've, you've you stumped me. Completely him. ruffled Nick's feathers there. He didn't realize that Canada was even a country during the 60s. No, I stand by. They still belong to the Queen. To this day, I, I'm, I don't support Canadian independence. No. Uh, carry on. That just got really uncomfortable for Pat because he's Canadian. Yeah, I know. He's, he's, a, he's a Canadian. Born and raised, right? Very much believes in Canadian uh, independence. Yeah, not at all. That's where Pat and I butt heads most frequently. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, this is a great This is a great album. Okay. Um, just, <laughs> just, just in and out. Um, even the blues stuff, which usually if you're like in a rock and roll mood, Blues can just kind of just hit you from a different. It's different, man. It, yeah. it it's just like it it blues is a different vibe to rock, but this really kind of just works really well. That's why I mean I struggle to even call them a rock band because they they um they're they're really they're really doing some unconventional stuff here that you don't really expect to hear from rock, but it's in in no way jarring or unpleasant. It works really right. well. Well, if you'll remember from way back when in uh, episode three when we talked about the Yardbirds and how Clapton left the Yardbirds because he felt like they were getting right. too far away from their blues roots, and where does he end up? In this band. 
with cream. So, you know, you're going to have to expect to hear a lot of blues based on, you know, just the circumstances. Yeah. And I mean, I will echo um, a little bit of what everyone was saying. Um, I do want to talk about our uh, super deep dive here. I'm going to talk about our Six Degrees of Totem talks. Oh, boy. Uh, so, for those of you familiar with the band Cream, it, it has two people in it, Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who were also in Blind Faith that we did. That's correct. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And okay. also, I mean, also I was going to give that one as well. Yeah. I was going to give that one. Well, the, the reason I was going to give that one particularly to- towards the end is because Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker were at each other's throats constantly, uh-huh. and they were always fighting, and that's one of the biggest reasons why this band was so short-lived. And Eric Clapton was actually trying to get Steve Winwood to come join the band to be like a buffer to keep Bruce and Ginger from fighting all the time. And it didn't quite pan out. So Eric and uh, Ginger just left and got in a band with Winwood anyway. And then they brought on Rick Gretsch. All I'm going to say is I got to take Ginger Baker's side because you can't trust someone with two first names. That's a great point. To all of our listeners with two first names, you are not included. (laughs) Yeah, you are not included. You're the exception to the rule. But Jack Bruce, those are both first names. They are. Uh, but in terms of the album, obviously I'm going to echo what you guys are saying. Uh, Cream is a very talented group, and these are all really pleasant to listen to. Really good rock songs, really good blues songs. A little bit of psychedelic, not as much as the next album. Definitely not. But I really did enjoy I Feel Free. It had a really nice poppy, catchy feel to it. Um, I really liked the heavy drum throughout, particularly in NSU and Toad. Um, I liked that they had some different stuff going on. Uh, like, for instance, in Cat's Squirrel, there mm-hmm. was some very faint hints of country in the I instrumental. Nothing crazy, um, not enough to really like pull it in that direction, but you got the vibe. Sure. Uh, just all in all, <laughs> really good um, instrumentation throughout. Obviously, Eric Clapton is one of the greatest guitar players of all time. As is Ginger Baker on the drums and Jack <laughs> Bruce on the bass. I mean, right. Uh, so they're all extremely talented musicians. I really liked what they did um, on a lot of the songs where they had Clapton on the guitar, almost echoing Bruce in the vocal, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, like where he was doing the lick that was like almost exactly what he was singing. Just at the same time, it created a lot of dynamic, adding like a second melody line to it. Totally. Uh, but that's pretty much all I had. Uh, very standout album um, from them and a great intro. You could tell. It, yeah, I right, could definitely right. get the feel that this wasn't their first group. Right. Whereas a lot of the bands that we do, it's their first group and their first album has a little bit of growing pains. None of that here. Not uh, at all. These are all accomplished musicians who are well in the prime of their music careers. Um, and then we'll move on to Disraeli Gears. Uh, we've definitely increased our psychedelia here. I would argue. For the that- win. Yeah, for the win, but I would I would argue that this is, whereas the Fresh Cream album was like a blues rock album, Yeah, this is a psychedelic rock album that has hint of blues in it. Right, absolutely. Um, The big standout on this album is Sunshine of Your Love. That's the song that really everybody everybody will know from Everyone, Cream. yeah. Uh, but it's not the only standout on here. I mean, I, I will never know how to pronounce this, Nick, so you're going to have to pronounce Slabber. it. Slabber? Slabber. I love that song so yeah, much. Yeah, I really loved the much heavier tone in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of dynamic throughout right. this. But I will say this. The picture has a mustache. And that's important <laughs> for you to know. That is very important to know. <laughs> those those are the weirds. But it's <laughs> yeah. but the picture has a mustache. But the rainbow has a beard. And I love it so much. I, I really... It's the riff. It's the riff which makes that song yeah. great. And the silly words just make it even yeah, better for me. Th- it's... 
agreed. It's not a lyrical masterpiece. It's funny because most psychedelic stuff is not yeah. lyrical masterpieces. Uh, they're funny and they're they're clever and they really kind of have word painting in them a little bit. And this is no exception. Uh, pretty much through and through, I liked some of the softer tones they went for. Um, I like, again, like Nick was saying before, I like that there's multiple people involved in multiple aspects of the record mm-hmm. in terms of writing, in terms of producing, in terms of singing. Right. Uh, you do get a lot more Clapton on this one. Right. And a rare Ginge vocal. Yeah. Yeah. Blue on Condition, Blue Condition. Uh, he wrote and sung that one. And I loved it. Uh, yeah. So I, that's pretty much all I have to say. I know you're going to be more in depth about it. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to give my sure. like, toes in the water take. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, um, you want to let Tyler go and then Absolutely. you'll do the last yeah, sure. two. Um, so kind of like what Pat was saying, this one definitely is far more psychedelic. Um, I think because of that made it a little bit harder for me to get into this one per se. Um, still enjoyed it. This one's just a, just a harder album. I, I'm a big one. I like to, I like to sing along once I've learned the words. This one was just a harder one for me to really kind of get a grasp of the lyrics because it, it, some of the lyrics are just kind of so out there and whatnot. It just like y- you almost are just like, did he really say that? Because why would you have put that in a poem? Uh, you know. Um, but it was it was still a good time for me. I mean, it's it's hard to even try to formulate an opinion on an album such as influential and important as this one to try to like say anything that other people far more qualified than myself have already said about this oh, thank you is is just kind of like way way harder than anything I, I think I've ever been at you know kind of tasked of on mm-hmm. this I think um other than like trying to like say you know oh what did you think of this Beatles album or yeah, whatnot? Like, we did it's the White like, Album. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. It, it's just like it it kind of like ranks right up there with that. I think I was it was easier for me to talk about the Beatles and the White Album because um I think that's more of a mainstream artist. Sure. Okay. Than, I mean, Cream is pretty darn famous. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying that they're not famous, but I think as far as like um where music is at now and today. Mm-hmm. I think more people uh, know, remember, and still are actively yeah, listening to the Beatles than they are I mean, listening to Cream. Than are listening to any other artists. Yeah. So so it's difficult for me to really articulate my feelings towards this one without just kind of like blindly repeating stuff that you've said and what other artists who have definitely been influenced by this album have. Um, I will say it was, it was definitely a good time for me from start to finish. Um, I didn't really enjoy the deluxe version of this album but that's because i i don't know i'm not i'm not that big a fan of cream to be that interested in demo tracks and unreleased stuff like that sure it so uh, yeah i think that's always more of like to understand the experience or to get a little bit more insight it's It's not about the music it's definitely it's definitely for more diehards yeah or whatnot because i wasn't even into the um you know deluxe bonus tracks and whatnot like when the beatles and other you know artists yeah, and whatnot come out there i'm just like this is i want the studio tracks i, yeah. I hear you there um yeah so I'll, I'll just very quickly you know go over my thoughts uh i mean i've always loved this album <clears throat> this has been you know one of my favorites for 
you know, since before I can remember, it's like at least 15 years I've had this record and absolutely loved it. Uh, every single song is a classic. All of their originals are phenomenal. All of their covers are the definitive version of that song for me from this mm-hmm. record. Uh, here's what I think makes a huge difference from the first Cream record to the second Cream record, and it's that somebody gave Eric Clapton a wah pedal. Right. Somebody gave him a wah pedal, and then everything changed about the Cream sound from there. Right? It's not so much on the first record, but from the second one on out, you really get that like the distortion while using the wah, and he does it so perfectly. Uh, he executes with the pedal so perfectly, especially in songs like Tales of Brave Ulysses uh, or, or Strange Brew or anything like that. I mean, it's just so well yeah, done very different sound and you get a different sound it feels maybe more psychedelic like you guys are saying it kind of blends into that whole new subgenre that they're adding into their music and it just makes yeah. it a, an amazing experience from start to finish but especially finish because i know it's so i'm shocked that tower didn't talk about it because it's so up his alley but the uh, traditional piece mother's lament that they all sing at the end all three of them like and I love that they're not even singing it together. Yeah. They're like sort of separate on it. They're like, oh, yeah, we're all it's like everybody's singing I happy birthday, but not it. necessarily everybody knows what tempo you're singing happy birthday at uh-huh. just yet. And it's a little off. And it's just beautiful. I love that song yeah, so much. It is and hilarious. They're having such a good time. Yeah. I was going to mention it, but I remembered you saying that how much you liked that song. Yeah. Oh, it's, so it's I wanted so you to be the one to talk yeah. about it. Mother's uh-huh. Lament. Incredible. I'm it so is. glad they did it. It is, and I, I, we, so we listened to it together. Um, mm-hmm. I'd already heard it, and so had you, but yeah. we listened to it together again. And <laughs> the end of the song where he's just like, "So do you want to do again? it again?" Yeah, <laughs> it was perfect. Really funny. Um, yeah, so Nick, and then I hear you... that, and it's like that's a perfect way to end the album because I'm like, yes, I would like to flip it over and do the whole album again. <laughs> Why don't you uh, bring us into goodbye? Sure. Uh, so goodbye, a little bit different uh, in that this album is partially live recorded. It's called Goodbye because they were done. They're like, they all right, over. yeah, we're we're not doing this anymore. We want to go off and do, you know, Eric and Ginger want to go off and do Blind Faith. Uh, I guess we'll cut your last couple of tracks, but otherwise just put some live recordings of some yeah, of our other songs. Album, yeah, put it together yourself. And they're not bad live recordings, but the quality wasn't great. Yeah. It was unfortunate. Like, I just didn't think that the live recordings were done particularly well. Like, the playing was obviously done really well, and it would have been more interesting to listen to if it was clearer. Um, But they do have, you know, a couple of Cream classics, um, like Anyone for Tennis or Badge. Badge is definitely the biggest track from from this record, and it was co-written by George Harrison um, of Beatles fame, in case you didn't know. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and I've always loved that song, too. It's a great one. Uh, I will also say that Cream... Since uh, we said the Drifters entered the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the Beatles, so our first episode, Cream entered the Hall of Fame the same year as Van Morrison. So going back to our second episode, uh, and deservedly so. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you know, super influential and important band. Great music. And that's all I got. Uh, I will agree uh, on pretty much every point, Um, particularly the negative point you made. Yeah. That really took me out of the It was such a shame. Uh, it, the quality of the live recordings on this album really took me out of it. Uh, I went searching for a better version, and I didn't really find one. Um, that being said, I mean, I could hear that they're good musicians. I could hear the talent in the songs. Uh, so, I mean, it's hard for me to be too negative, but it was very clear that this album probably shouldn't have happened. 
Yeah, maybe like, an EP that was like, hey, here's some previously unreleased cream tracks. Yeah. And you get sitting on top of the world, you get badge, yeah. you get like anyone if for this tennis. was if this was in like like Nick said, a later released EP, totally different. Um, and if we had gone over the first three albums as their only albums, because yeah. I did listen to the third album. Which has like some of their biggest yeah. hits too, like White Room and Crossroads, like is huge. Yeah, Crossroads is arguably And I mean White Room is still a huge, huge hit. It's yeah, played on I the radio mean, all the time. Constantly. Crossroads and Sunshine of Your Love kinda of battle back and forth for their biggest song, I would argue. I would argue White Room is right up there. Uh, in the interesting. Top. I I've heard White Room on the radio probably more frequently than either of the other two. Yeah, but you just listen to different music stations well i'm just saying my whole life i grew up listening to nothing but the classic rock music station <laughs> right. and white room would Listen, get played all the time i understand uh, my point being that this album doesn't necessarily drag down my overall scores but this album was a negative experience for me that's all i have tyler what did you think yeah i mean you guys have heard before how i feel about live yeah. albums yes and so- he feels that way about live albums that are well recorded that's true <laughs> Um, and also, I, I just, I feel like this album sounds more like an unrehearsed jam session than it does, like, a, uh, a finished product. Yeah, it's so different, because Disraeli Gears was where they're really gelling, and then this is where they're so done with each other that they're not really being, right you know, cohesive. Yeah, like, everybody just feels like they're trying to sound better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Interesting, yeah. And, like, the tracks also, like, they just kind of go on. I know it's ironic because I made the comment earlier about the Drifters tracks not being long, long enough. enough. Yeah, but yeah, these... the first track's like nine minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine for a live version of something if it's done yeah. well and you can, you know, there's a good recording quality. Yeah, but, like, it just doesn't, the, the recording quality isn't that great. It doesn't really seem like they're trying to do much more than be more impressive than everybody else in the band so you sit there for nine minutes and you're just like listening to what almost you know you start off and it's like wow these are some really great sounding musicians and then you you reach like this turning point where you're like wait are they good are they just doing the same thing over and over again is this like it almost loses its musicality i mean for me at least it almost loses right, its musicality because it's just it's going on for so long and it's mm-hmm. not polished it's not it, it you know it doesn't sound like oh this is what we're trying to make it sounds like well this sounds good and i sound really good doing it so well, we're just going to keep going Okay, I let's yeah. let's score them so we don't pile on too much because I feel yeah, like no. the scores will not reflect that last album. No, definitely not. Uh, uh, especially the first one. Yeah. I mean, cultural impact, it's hard to argue that Cream is not one of the most famous and influential classic rock bands ever. I mean, in their short span and only these really like three and a half records, right. tons of huge hits that are still staples, uh, you know, all of these guys in the band are super famous, considered some of the most talented players at their instruments of all time. Incredibly influential what they did in the 60s. Cream is up there, like top 20 classic rock artist easy. Right. So if you were giving that a number. It would be like nine. Oh, okay. I don't know if I'm at a nine. Fascinating. I don't know if I'm all the way up to a nine. I mean, I get everything that you just said makes sense to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I was definitely in the eights. I'm not below that. I mean, I might even be above an 8.5, but I de- Definitely I above think- an 8.5. When you get to the nines, I feel like you're starting to really hit that 
everybody on the street knows who they are. And I think that... Cream is close. Cream is close. And I would, I agree that they're close to that. Mm-hmm. In between an 8.5 and a 9 is close to that. But yeah, I'm think, just thinking, like, if I was to name the most popular classic rock artists of all time, how far into that list would I get before I got to Cream? I'm thinking, probably like... pretty far. Like I would 20. say I would come up with maybe 10 to 15 artists before I came up with Cream. Maybe. Okay. I mean... Maybe. And I... I'm not necessarily they're, they're saying you're there. wrong. They're definitely I'm definitely there. not saying you're wrong, but I don't think more than 10 or 15 classic rock acts should be in the nines. Wow, okay. I think the nines should be, like, nine okay. and above should be reserved for that. So, pardon I mean, the pun, we the cream gave, of the crop. Sure. I mean, like, I don't mean that as a pun, but, like, that should be reserved for okay. the top 10. So, I think they should be above the Drifters. Uh, I would be, I would understand if they didn't hit where Van Halen hit, which is a 9-3, but I really don't think Cream is all that much less influential or important musically than Van Halen is. I'm not, but it's not about influential musically, it's about people have heard of them, and I think more people have heard of Van Halen. Right, but music music influence is a huge part of the cultural impact of a band. Right, but I'm saying like, in terms of impacting the culture of the world, I think more people have heard of Van Halen than heard of cream right and like i said i I don't care if they don't beat van halen but i don't think they should be like a full point below them either no i mean i think they should be like an eight eight that would be my absolute floor i think they should be an eight eight i don't think they're a nine okay i don't eight eight is my floor that's where it is um breadth of work we've got four records one of them is more of an ep yeah with some live tracks um, honestly, there were a lot of live tracks on Wheels of Fire, too. But they all were either gold or platinum in both the UK and the US. Uh, the quality of them, their studio, studio tracks, is very high. Uh, do with that information what you will. I would say that gets us into the very, very high fours, based on what we've had before. Okay. I um, would agree with that. Yeah. I, I'm i not going to disagree. Um, yeah, I think maybe like a 4.8... <clears throat> is is probably a good spot for them. Okay, and that's where they will go. Now, here is where they will do better than anywhere else. For sure. Instrumental talent, I mean, if you talk to anyone who's a guitarist, yeah. Eric Clapton's going to be one of the first names that comes up. If you talk to anyone who's a drummer, Ginger Baker's going to be one of the first names that comes up, as with Jack Bruce. So, I mean, I'm I knew sorry, that. Ginger Baker before Phil Collins? Absolutely. No, Not even close. Um. But all these guys are so incredibly respected and considered absolute legends in their field. So I just figured I would check with our old pals Rolling Stone and their top guitarist, bassist, and uh, drummers lists. Uh-huh. And Jack Bruce did by far the worst of the three of them uh, as being counted as the sixth greatest bassist of all time. Ginger Baker okay. was counted as the third greatest drummer of all time, and Eric Clapton was the number two guitarist. Who went uh, one and two in drums? Was it uh, Neil Peart and John Bonham? Um... Honestly, I'm not sure. I stopped looking after three because I was only looking to see where Ginge was. But I would imagine that it's probably something like that. Yeah. But I mean, it, who was it's the hard number one not... guitarist? Uh, Hendrix, I assume. Yeah. Um, How do you not look at the rest? So, I can I, never do that. The, I can no, never this, be because the Rolling at Stones list. list usually are just incredibly frustrating to me. I would agree, but I would n- I could never look at like. But a these top are three. Yeah. These are three finishing. that I can't argue with. Um, I, I just can't argue with considering all three of these guys in the elite of the elite in the greatest of all time at what they did. Uh, it's, okay. it's hard not to say that they were. They all were. I would, I'm not disagreeing with you. So here's what I'm thinking. Go ahead. I'm thinking like upper nines. 
way up the for nice. only reason i'm not at a 10 is because neither clapton or bruce is right. lighting it up vocally i agree so maybe like a nine eight nine seven nine eight sounds good to me okay because I, I can't disagree with you that all three of them are i no, the and i i knew right and i knew what you where you're going to come in on that and i kind of figured we would go slightly under yeah. because of vocals and that's fine uh songwriting talent this is another weird one i mean i really love everything that they did but a lot of it was rearranging blue standards Right, and I love their arrangements of a lot of those blues standards. Um, but it does have to hurt. I it would does agree. have to hurt. I mean, three and a half records is, is sort of what we're saying. You know, if half of that is covers, nearly even when they're done really well, and even if their work is really good, and we did mention that it kind of spans from like that early straight blues to much more of a psychedelic feel, and you get more interesting things going on throughout Australia Gears. Even if you look at songs like, you know, Badge from the final record, which is a very different change of pace for them, too. Uh, I mean, if it was just on a song-by-song -song basis, I would say a slightly above average, but then I'd have to drag it a little because covers. Yeah. So. I, I Listen. That's I, my spiel. I agree with you. I was leaning towards roughly an average place okay. for them here. Again, it's mostly to do with the covers. Yeah. Uh, it, it's tough to... It's tough to talk about it, even though they did arrange them differently. Like, it's not your idea. And even though the arrangements were interesting, they didn't necessarily change the fundamental nature of the song. Correct. Like, if it had been, like, a total shift, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Uh So, yeah, maybe maybe just about average. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, and then that brings us to Poetic Talent. Which is going to be a lot of the same. Yeah. Uh, take but, away but for what's the, covers. Here's the negative. But the difference is... You're also taking away for the psychedelic album where the lyrics right. are nonsense. Correct. Even though I adore all of them. Oh, and yeah. to be fair, Tales of Brave Ulysses is not nonsense. Okay. That's an That's interesting song point. about, uh, you know, mythology, so... I'm still probably at like a four and a half. Oh, yeah. Great. That's better than I thought you would be. Yeah. Well, because like if we're roughly the <laughs> same, we're roughly the same in terms of giving them roughly a mm -hmm. five... Yes. And then I would take away again for that album. Okay. So another half a point off. Fair enough. I, I don't think that that's a problem. And I, I'm going to be a little controversial here. I don't think they get an X Factor. Oh, I totally disagree. Are you ready for why? Okay. Cream made popular in rock music the notion of a power trio. That you could just have three guys, a guitarist, a bassist, and a drummer, and that would be enough. And you could fill out your sound with just three people, and the power trio then became a more popular or you know, attempt at a band, more artists were actually willing to try it. Power trios became a thing in popular culture in large part due to cream being so successful with it. I think that is definitely reason for a bonus point, a full point. A full, yeah. They invented the power trio. I mean, they didn't invent it. They weren't the first three musicians to play together, but in popular culture, it was like a huge deal that there were just these three guys and that was it. And it was a power trio. It's a new thing that a band can be. See, I was thinking half a point, which means let's let's meet at like a point seven. You were thinking half a point. Full, you were saying no, that no points at all. When you were saying okay. the power trio thing, gotcha. I had shifted to half a point. Okay. I was like, okay, so we'll give him a half a point for that. But then when you went a full point, I, I can't go okay. a whole point for it. That's it's fine. too niche. It is. It feels too much right. like like I'm being a, like a sportscaster building my own stats. Okay. Like I mean, they're the greatest quarterback of all time with two minutes left down, 13 points yeah, on fourth No, down. I like, hear that. But Power Trio is a real thing. I mean, there I are definitely other groups that had successful careers by following in that lead. I mean, talk to the police. Talk to Rush. I, it's a I, real thing. 
I, I would. <laughs> if, yeah, if they, be on the show? yeah, of course. If they wanted to be on the show, we would obviously have them. <laughs> if anybody from yes. the police or Rush want to be on the podcast, you are welcome. We will Certainly. talk to you about being a power trio. Yeah, really. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's wrap things up then. Yeah, let's do our final scores. Okay. So, uh, really, unfortunately, and you guys are going to understand why, uh, the loser for today's episode is the Drifters because sad. they lost all their points by not writing their so own music, sad. even though we really love them. Uh, in the middle, then, that leaves us with, of course, Three Doors Down, who had a 24.2. Drifters had a 22.1, by the way. And, uh, of course, the winner that we all kind of figured coming into this uh, is Cream. And Cream got a 33.6, so they pulled out a pretty strong victory. They won yeah. by a touchdown. Awesome. Um, uh, no surprise, yeah? Yeah, great way to wrap it up. Absolutely. Uh, and I will say this before you say your goodbye spiel. Uh, please come back and join us for season two, which will be coming out you know, shortly after this episode ends anyway. But we're going to open up and premiere season two with Jethro Tull, which I'm super excited about because I'm a big Tull head. So. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so... Like Nick was saying, that wraps up our first season of Totem Talks. Um, some things to look forward to uh, is going to be our, uh, like we were talking about, our best of the best, where we're going to talk about our favorite moments um, that we went over, our favorite artists, uh, you know, our uh, the best of the rest, which is like albums you may have missed. Right, things uh, that, that we like, didn't get a chance to talk about instance, that were really good. Um, like we would have talked about today in mm -hmm. terms of Cream. Right. We could have um, talked about Wheels of Fire. We would have talked about Wheels of Fire. Uh, so things like that. And then also our worst. Yeah. Our worst <laughs> artists. Who really just stunk. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So whoever really just was not good, we'll, we'll discuss them. We'll do a little bit of a of an episode on that as well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so those are some things that are coming up. Uh, and then we're going to get into season two as well. Like Nick said, it's going to start off with Jethro Tull. Um, in the meantime, please use the hashtag Totem Talks. To tell us what you think, how we're doing, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you feel free to just DM us on Twitter Absolutely. or Instagram, both are low underscore or totem or something, or Facebook. Yeah, Facebook dot com slash low totem band. There you go. Uh, so you can check us out on any of that stuff. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. Let us know what we're doing that you like, that you don't like, you know, things we could change up. Uh, this is the time. <laughs> we yeah, are, really. As we're, get, you know, gearing up to start the new season, we'd love to make these changes for you guys to, to do what you guys want. <laughs> you know, we have this thing that we're building that we're really enjoying. But, oh, definitely. You know, we want you guys to enjoy it just as much as we are. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up. Uh, hopefully you guys had a great time. We did too. And uh, we will see you next time on, uh, on Totem Talks. Have a great day.